Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of July 12th from youth pastor Alan Johnston. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 4 if you want to turn over there in your Bible. Um, While you're doing that, I've got a couple things up here. I've got a water bottle, which I almost always have with me, whether it's during the day in the office or out doing something or when I preach or teach, I always have water because I get thirsty and stuff like that. I also have a five-gallon water thing that we use on mission trips and at church events and different things like that. So I have a water bottle. When do you drink water? All the time when you're thirsty, when it's hot. I saw that it's, it's like 85 degrees right now. I think it's supposed to be 93 over 100 heat index at some point today. So today's the day that we need this water, right? So if I drink this, I'm going to be pretty satisfied, right? My thirst is going to be slaked. If I drink all of this besides being waterlogged, theoretically I'd be very, very satisfied, right? So if I drank all of this or all of this, then I would be satisfied. Or even if I just drank a few sips, I'd be satisfied. And then I'd never have to drink again, right? No? It doesn't work like that? Not even with this? No? That's a lot of water, though. No? Okay. I guess you're right. It's only temporary. Eventually, I'm going to have to drink more. In the story that we're going to look at this morning... Jesus spoke to something far greater than a bottle of water or a five-gallon thing of water or anything like that. He spoke to something more than temporarily satisfying thirst. He spoke to something that would satisfy forever. He saw this opportunity with this woman as a divine opportunity, and he took the opportunity to show her and to share with her what she really needed. So as you're turning over to John chapter 4, we're going to read a lot of scripture because there's really not a way to break up the story less than reading 42 verses, unfortunately. Um, But while you're turning over there, give you a little bit of a geography lesson. Israel is 263 miles long, and it's 71 miles wide. It's divided into three regions, Galilee in the north, Judea in the south, and Samaria in the middle. Each of those has its own ethnic identity. Each of those has its own religious identity. So the most direct route going from Judea to Galilee would be through Samaria. But most Jews avoided it. They took a longer route. They went around, going east and around Samaria. But not Jesus. He came through Samaria, and he stopped at a well. And wells in that day also served as sort of social gathering places, in addition to the function of water and so forth. They served as social gathering places, not unlike coffee shops and the like today. A lot of things in the Old Testament happened at the well. This particular well was traced back to Jacob, and we'll see that as we read it. But a lot of stuff in the Old Testament happened near wells. Abraham's men found a wife for Isaac near a well. Jacob met Rachel near a well. Moses met and helped some young women, one of which became his future wife, near a well. So wells were fairly significant in the Old Testament. And so we're going to read about an encounter at a well, and I'm calling this message, if you want a title, if you take notes, A Divine Encounter. And we're going to read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, and then we're going to talk about three things that I think are very important in this passage. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. Let me read that verse again. He had to travel through Samaria. 
So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she, excuse me, when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this divine encounter and for um, the truths that it teaches us and that Jesus was willing to take a moment to speak into this woman's life and that her changed life was used to change other lives. God, I pray that in these moments that we have together that we would see your truth, that we would see what you want from us, and we would see the hope that we have in Jesus through the scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that I want us to talk about is this. Jesus broke through social biases to reach the woman. He broke through social biases to reach the woman. There's a Latin phrase, imago Dei, and imago Dei means all people created in God's image. And that's the way Jesus saw things, and that's the way Genesis 1.27 said man was created in the image of God, and that's the way that we should see things. But we don't always see that, do we? And we live in a world right now where that's pretty obvious that we're not seeing that. Just this week, I saw 
tweets that broke my heart from a pastor, and I'm not going to say the name, but he was a pastor of a First Baptist Church. I don't know the man, don't know the city, don't know any of that. But the tweets were just horribly racist. Under the guise of a man who says he's a pastor of a First Baptist Church. In many parts of the world, especially in Africa and Asia and stuff like that, women have stigmas against them, and they're excluded in a way that ultimately the goal is to benefit men. And in, in a sense, that's what's happening here. While Jesus would never break a, uh, break a commandment, while Jesus would never flout immorality and stuff like that, he routinely went against the nonsensical religious traditions of his day. And that's what he does here. He walks through an area that many people didn't. As I said earlier, he didn't have to go this way. Most people didn't go this way. But yet the text says he had to go through Samaria. Jesus said, or the text says, he had to travel through Samaria in verse 4. Kind of the same idea in Luke 19, 1 through 10, the story of Zacchaeus, where Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. Must stay at your house. Had to go through Samaria. Saying he had to go through Samaria implies that it was a divine necessity. This was to be a divine encounter. This was part of the sovereign plan of God. They had to go through Samaria. Samaria is the straightest path to get from Jerusalem to Cana. But most Jews avoided Samaritan soil. They didn't want to go through there. They took a longer, less direct route, but not Jesus. And so he arrives fully worn out, tired, thirsty, goes to a well for water. But verse 11 says he didn't even have anything to to draw from. The woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So he's sitting at the well, middle of the day, he's fully human, he's tired, he's thirsty. It's the middle of the day, the sun is high, it's a very warm time of year according to scholars. He's worn out, he's tired, he's thirsty, and he goes to the well. And a Samaritan woman shows up. And by the way, she shows up at a time that most of the time people weren't coming. Middle of the day, heavy heat. Women didn't come alone. They came to socialize. Imagine women socializing together. They came together to socialize. And she came on her own in the heat of the day, likely to avoid the scorn and shame of other people. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. This is not the ideal time of day to carry what scholars say was probably about this amount of water full. And if you've ever carried one of these full for very long, it hurts after a pretty short period of time. If you fill this all the way up, five gallons of water, carry it for a little bit on the football field or to an event or whatever, it hurts. It's, it's not the ideal time of day for her to come and carry what they said in one of the commentaries was probably about 40 pounds of water. Jesus is sitting there when she arrives, which could have been really awkward and really problematic. He took the time to talk to a woman. That's taboo number one. Because in this society, men didn't talk to women. In this male-driven, male-dominated society, the men didn't really even talk to their wives and daughters in public because they thought it was a waste of time. And Jesus speaks to the woman. And taboo number two, she's the Samaritan woman. And Samaritans were thought of as unclean, and they were thought of as defiled, mixed marriages, sketchy worship practices, things like that. They were considered half-breeds. And most Jews despised Samaritans, and they refused to talk to them, and they refused to even walk through their territory, especially rabbis. To the Jews, the word Samaritan was like a curse word. 
They didn't want to have anything to do with it. But Jesus looked past all of that. He didn't care about the social taboos. He didn't care about all these rules. He didn't care about the Jewish bias. What he cared about was there was a woman who had something that she needed that he could help satisfy. And eventually, we see at the end of the chapter, we'll get into this in a few minutes, he stays two full days with them. He didn't care about all the biases. He saw her for who she was. He saw her for what she really needed. And he treats her with dignity. And he treats her with respect. And he treats her with love. And he treats her with compassion. And he engages her in conversation. And he gives her his full attention. You ever been in a conversation where you knew the person wasn't really listening? We've all been there, right? We've probably all done it. I see people looking at each other. <laughs> he gave her his full attention. He engaged her in conversation. He responded to her questions. He listened to her concerns. She had lived a lifetime of being ignored, of being ridiculed, of being shamed, of being scorned. But Jesus was different. He saw past the surface. He came to redeem her, and he knew how to meet her needs. He knew how to meet her where she was. He knew how to reach her where she was. He didn't speak over her, and he didn't speak down to her. He spoke to her on her level. And I would be remiss to not point out that this is the common thread of Jesus throughout the Gospels. He spent time with the sinful, the downtrodden, the outcast, the misfits, the hurt, the broken, time and time again. This is not some out there story. This is who Jesus was. Galatians 3.28 I think is a very relevant and timely scripture, especially right now in our culture. And it's the same attitude, this is Paul writing, but it's the same attitude that Jesus portrayed as he walked the earth. Galatians 3.28 says this, if you belong to, oh nope, that's 29. There's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus saw past gender. He saw past status. He saw past race. He saw past color and all the other divisive characteristics. And he broke the rules instead of giving in to those things. Instead of writing her off, he broke the rules and saw the need and met it. The gospel creates a community based on faith in Jesus, faith in a Messiah, not artificial lines. Jesus shows this to that woman and later shows it to the disciples when they come back and they see what he's doing. And they were shocked as he's talking to her. And he shows that he's willing to cross any barrier necessary to reach the lost. Are we? Are we willing to cross any barrier necessary to reach the lost? So the first thing is that Jesus broke through social bias to reach the woman. The second thing is that when Jesus spoke into this woman's life, her life was changed. Her life was changed. Through the encounter with Jesus, her life was changed. Besides being a Samaritan woman, we don't even know her name. She was nameless. She was probably poor, uneducated, lower class, clearly immoral, and had no idea probably who Jesus even was. And yet she seems to believe her life is okay. And by the way, so do a lot of people in our society. They walk around dead people not knowing that they're dead. They walk around believing they're okay despite the sin in their life, despite the lifestyle that they may be leading. She seems to believe she's okay until Jesus confronts her with the truth. She came alone during the middle of the day, as I said earlier, probably to avoid the scorn, 
She came to a watering hole a half mile out of town when there were watering holes in the town, by the way. She's avoiding the scorn, avoiding the taboo, because she's an outcast. She's a sinful, promiscuous woman. And that's probably a well-known fact in that society, by the way. She's engaged in a series of illicit relationships. She's been married five times, and she's living unmarried with one now. And yet Jesus speaks to her. Not to shame her. Not to degrade her. But to offer her a way out of the cycle of degradation and disappointment and disillusionment. Her need for life change surpassed all the cultural taboos. Her need for what he had, her need for the truth, made him willing to share the truth with her. And he doesn't condone her, but he doesn't condemn her. And that's an important thing for us to realize. He doesn't condone her sin, but he doesn't condemn it either, condemn her either. He shows her the sin in her life, but he also shows her that there's hope. He shows her that there's a way out. She tries to distract him. She tries to divert him. The whole middle part, they're talking, and she throws it a different direction time and time again. In fact, one of the commentaries, it said this, she tried to deflect, distract, and debate, but he responded graciously. He appealed to her kindness, her curiosity, her spiritual need, her personal interests, her conscience, and her will. And she responded defensively, sarcastically, changes the subjects, lives in denial, in controversy, and in delay. That's, that's their encounter. And by the way, people do that to us too. They throw all kinds of out there questions to us. Some of the common kind of silly ones that you might hear sometimes, did, a, did Adam have a belly button? How did Noah get all those animals on the ark? Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Those are the same type of tactics on a, on a less spiritual level, perhaps, that people do today. She tried to distract. She tried to divert questions about worship locations, questions about styles, among other things. And Jesus saw through all of that. And eventually she began to understand, he's got news that I need. He's got something that I can't underestimate. And she progresses in her thinking. First, she sees him as just a Jew, and then as someone who maybe could make her life easier, and then as maybe a prophet, and then could he be the Messiah? And she progresses. She's bought into so many lies for so long that Jesus wants her to see the truth. And he used what she came to the well for to talk about her real need. He used the water to talk about her real need. He offers living water from a well that would never run dry. And this is a common Old Testament image. And I'm going to read several of the passages in the Old Testament that Jesus would have probably been subtly referencing. Zechariah 14.8 On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea, in summer and winter alike. Um, Ezekiel 47.9 Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the river flows, and there will be a huge number of fish because this water goes there. Since the water will become fresh, there will be life everywhere the river goes. Isaiah 44.3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Isaiah 55.1, Come everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver, and without cost. And then Isaiah 12, 3, you will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. 
he knew what he was doing, referring to living water. Living water was thought to come from the hand of God. Dead water was standing water like what came in a well, what was standing in a well. The living water was flowing water. It came directly from the hand of God. And once she receives it, that's what happens. It bubbles up in her and starts to overflow from her. She had been alienated from her community and she'd been alienated from God and all of a sudden she finds what she's been looking for all along. And Jesus changes everything. He offers her a way out of sorrow. He offers her a way out of rejection, a way out of broken relationships, a way out of the cycle of disappointment and devastation. He gently and lovingly confronts her sin and points to what she really needs. And when he reveals who he really is, she believes and she places faith in him. She meets Jesus who treats her with dignity and compassion and love in a way that she's not seen before, especially from men. And she walks away transformed. She walks away changed forever. And that leads to the third point. The third point is this. She couldn't help but share the good news. She couldn't help but share the good news. Somewhat surprisingly, a despised woman becomes one of the earliest evangelists. Think about that. She becomes one of the earliest evangelists in a male-driven society, ushering in transformation in her community. Late in the chapter, we see that many of her friends come to know Jesus. Many of her friends come to hear. Many of her friends want to know, is, is she telling the truth? Is this real? They come to listen to Jesus and his message, and they find their own lives changed. They believed and were saved in part because she took the time to talk to them and they could see the change in her, but also because she brought them to Jesus. She told them about how Jesus had satisfied her need. Her life was radically changed. She didn't have some seminary degree. She didn't have all the answers. She didn't have wholesome roots. She didn't have great theology. She just had a life that was changed. And by the way, that's what evangelism is. A changed life telling the story of how your life has been changed so that others can be changed. We don't have to have a perfect background. We don't have to have all the answers to theology. We don't have to have massive amounts of training. Has your life been changed by Jesus? And if you're a believer, you better say yes. Then let your changed life influence and impact other lives. She had a changed life. She had a story to tell that other people needed to know, that other people needed to hear. She found joy and fulfillment that she hadn't found anywhere else, and she had been looking. She had been looking for love in all the wrong places, to quote the old song. She couldn't keep quiet. Once she found what she was looking for, once she found the joy and fulfillment she hadn't experienced before, it overflowed from her. It was like a fire hydrant. You ever seen a fire hydrant when the firemen take it off and just let the water pour out? That's what her life became like. One thing that I would be remiss to not point out here, what did she come to the water, to the well for? To get water, right? She brought her water jar to get water. She comes in with the water jar to get the water. And what does it say happened when she went to tell people the good news of what she had experienced? She left it. She left her water jar. The very purpose and reason she thought she was coming for. She left it behind. She abandoned her original purpose for coming in order to tell the townspeople about Jesus. Maybe that's a symbol of leaving her past life behind. But regardless, nothing was going to stand in the way of telling other people the hope that she had. She couldn't contain her excitement. It spilled out of her. It flowed out of her. 
She gives a simple, straightforward testimony to them. This is what she says. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She didn't have some memorized plan that she spent eight weeks at church on a Tuesday night learning and going out and sharing with people. She told her story. They knew what she used to be, and they saw what she had become. And they saw that there was sincerity, and they saw that there was change. And it says they left the town and made their way to him. By the way, that's not just them going, oh, we should go see that. That's them closing shop for the day and going to listen to Jesus. That's them leaving behind their responsibilities for the day and going to hear if what she's found is really true. They leave their work behind to see the man she's speaking about. Between her obvious life change and Jesus sharing with them over the next couple of days, verse 39 says, now many Samaritans believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. Verse 41 says, many more believed because of what he said. I don't know what many is, but it's not one or two. It's probably a lot. I don't know if it was quite what Acts 2 talks about where it says people were being added daily after 3,000 were added originally, but it uses the phrase many twice there because she went and told. The gospel went out to the Samaritans in what's a foreshadowing of the universal scope of the nature of, of the gospel that would be taken in Acts. The book of Acts, after Pentecost, the gospel goes to all people. That's what's happening here. Jesus makes it clear the harvest is ripe and the time is now to sow for the gospel. When people see our changed lives, they'll want what we have. And there's always those waiting to hear us share the good news. She went back to her town, told people what she'd experienced, and they wanted to know more. And they wanted what she had. And they saw something different in her. So what does all this mean for us? Let me try to summarize it in a couple of minutes here. Jesus valued all people. He had people from different backgrounds, different cultures, even those with poor lifestyle choices, sinful lifestyle choices. He wanted everyone to get the opportunity to have their lives changed. And he wants those who have had their lives changed to desire to see other lives changed. So the question for us is this. Do we see all people as Jesus does? Have we experienced his life change? Do we desire to see others changed? Are we doing anything about it? You should bow your head and close your eyes as Brady comes up. Here's the invitation. First and foremost, do you need to give your life to Jesus and be changed by him? And if you do, one of us would be happy to talk to you. We'll stay around as long as we need to. We'll talk to you later, whatever we need to do. Have you experienced life change. Do you need to give your life to Jesus and be changed by him? Second, are you allowing stereotypes or even racism to color your impression of certain people? If you're a believer, if you would claim to be a believer, there is no room for that at all and never has been and never will be. Third, if your life has been changed by Jesus, are you doing everything you can through the strength of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to help other people find what you have? And if not, why not? Why wouldn't we want them to have what we have? We're called to sow and reap. We're called into the harvest. 
We're called to put aside prejudice, pettiness, and procrastination. We're called to enter the fray. If our lives have been changed by Jesus, he deserves no less in return. God, as we close the service out, I pray that pray that our lives would be changed by Jesus. pray that our perception of other people would be changed by Jesus. I pray that we would see the world as Jesus sees the world. And that when you've truly impacted and truly changed us, that we would be willing and unhesitant in helping other people experience the same life change that we have. God, I pray that if something needs to change in our life, that today would be the day that that begins. And that you would have all the glory through changed lives, changing lives. In Jesus' name, amen.